Welcome to Room 106. I'm John Gagan from Planning Magazine. Every week we enter Room 106, the secret lair into which all new planning announcements and decisions are found and extract the key things you need to know. In this bonus edition, we'll be examining a court ruling on a long-running estate regeneration scheme that's set to make life difficult for developers. But before I enter Room 106, my colleague Alex King is going to tell us about the key news stories from the past seven days. Hello, Alex. Hello, John. So, Alex, what's been happening in the past week? First up, new government planning guidance has advised plan makers that they should not seek a higher percentage of biodiversity net gain from developers than the statutory 10% objective unless justified. Elsewhere, 21 local authorities in England would become subject to the Housing Secretary Michael Gove's new presumption in favour of brownfield development if his proposals are implemented and their housing delivery records do not improve, planning research has found. Meanwhile, the use of land banking by developers has been called a rational approach to maintaining a sufficient stream of developable land to meet housing need, given the time and uncertainty involved in negotiating the planning system. The Competition and Markets Authority has concluded in a new study on house building across the UK. In its final report, published this week, the Competition Watchdog finds that the nature and operation of the planning systems in England, Scotland and Wales is a highly significant driver of long-term under-delivery of new homes against targets and assessed need. In other news, the Planning Inspectorate has deleted an announcement by the Energy Secretary, Claire Coutinho, granting development consent for plans to build an energy-from-waste facility in Cambridgeshire less than two days after publishing it though the project developer Medworth CHP has said the decision is quote-unquote still valid. Elsewhere, Coutinho has approved a carbon capture, usage and storage project in Teesside after finding that the scheme's benefits outweighed the harms associated with its lifetime greenhouse gas emissions. Next up, Tandridge District Council's local plan has been found unsound by a planning inspector six years after the strategy was submitted for examination despite the authority having spent more than £3.5 million on its preparation. Meanwhile, the Housing Secretary Michael Gove has pledged to quote-unquote get medieval with authorities that fail to prepare local plans quickly enough, but has said he recognises that local authority planners are underappreciated. And finally, the High Court has dismissed a fresh effort to overturn Transport Secretary Mark Harper's decision to grant consent for a controversial road tunnel through the Stonehenge World Heritage Site. However, campaigners have already said they will seek to appeal the decision. Many thanks for that, Alex. Lots of good news stories in the past week. And of course, more details on each of those can be found on planningresource.co.uk. Okay, so the time to enter Room 106 for our deep dive this week has now arrived. Alex, I'm going to spare you the ordeal this week. I'll speak to you soon. See you next time. Thanks. See you later. Well, here I am back in room 106. I'm making my way over to the area on recent planning court judgments, and I'm looking for one of our regular contributors, Ben Cochin, who I believe is in here somewhere. Ah, there he is. Hello, Ben. Oh, hi, John. Ben, you've been looking at a High Court judgment concerning plans to regenerate a huge housing estate in South London 
that's set to have significant implications for developers' attempts to amend planning permissions. It's fair to say it's quite a complicated case. So firstly, can you explain as clearly as you can what the ruling says and the proposal that's the subject of it? Yes, John, let's see what knots I get myself tied up in on on this one. But um, this case concerned the redevelopment of a very large housing estate in South London, the Aylesbury Housing Estate. Notting Hill Genesis got an outline planning approval back in 2015 to redevelop it. 2,745 homes, outline permission. Quite a lot of it was built out. And then about a year or two ago, they decided actually they wanted to do something slightly different on part of the estate. They wanted to put in what's generally referred to as a drop-in application, i.e. they got this original planning approval, but they thought they'd wanted to do something different on part of the site. And the council, Southwark Council, actually approved that. But to be honest, this, this, this redevelopment was highly controversial from the start. And... Uh, local residents have campaigned against it. There were, there were a number of concerns which we won't explore now. And they challenged the approval. That they'd legally challenged it. Yeah. So they got a they got a high court challenge. They, yeah. they got a, they, they, a judicial review on the permission. That's the, that's the term. Now, at the same time as putting in the, the drop-in application, uh, the association also wanted to amend the overall permission, the original permission, to make it severable. And that's very important that this this term severable is going to come up in this conversation a lot. And it all goes back to a, a Supreme Court judgment back in 2022 that this all hinges on called Hillside. Okay, so uh, this term "severable," from my my understanding, it means splitting up a planning permission, right? Or, or the ability of a planning permission to be split up into different parts. Is that yeah, correct? Absolutely right. What it is is that in a lot of these large redevelopments, they're split up into phases. Could be up to six or eight phases. So you've got original permission split up into six phases. One theoretically follows another. And indeed, in the Aylesbury case, Notting Hill Genesis has completed the first two phases. And it was actually what they called 2B that was the one that diverged from the original planning permission. That was the drop-in application. Now, Hillside, I'm not going to go into the detail of Hillside, we'll be here all day. Uh, Hillside actually went to the Supreme Court. The Hillside case went to the Supreme Court where, and this this is a, this Aylesby case is very much a mirror image of the case that went to the uh, Supreme Court. It really reflects there. And the judge in that case set down a number of tests which a drop-in application had to comply with. I don't think he's going to talk about two because I think they're the most important. He said that 
for a drop-in application to be acceptable, the whole scheme, the original scheme, had to be severable. So basically, they could each go ahead on their own account, into not dependent on another. And the other was, and this is all very much in line with that severability issue, the result of the drop-in proposal should not make it physically impossible to build out the rest of the original permission. If the drop-in passed those two tests, then a drop-in application should be acceptable. And in the Aylesbury case, and this is the interesting point about the Aylesbury case, it's not that it's actually set new law, it's actually testing the application of Hillside that's important. So the implications of Hillside are seen here. And basically, the judge, and and, uh, uh, Justice Holgate, who does a lot of planning cases, did a very practical test to see whether the scheme was actually severable. Now, Notting Hill Housing Group, Notting Hill Genesis, as part of that, uh, tried to amend the original application to insert the word severable in that original permission because they thought that would be enough to get their drop-in over the line. Now, what Holgate said was, nah, you might put the words in, but if you just look at this application, it's all interdependent. You can't just change a couple of words and make it severable. That's not in the spirit of Hillside. So the planning permission that Southwark granted were quashed. And I think there's some quite interesting ramifications of this. The crux of it is that it's about the kind of ability of developers to to change large schemes retrospectively, and they use these dropping applications to do that. Absolutely. I think it's posed a number of challenges because, as you can imagine, if you're doing a development over... Oh, some of these estates redevelopments could be 10, 20 years. So they, they change. And what some people are actually saying is they need to change because different requirements come forward, different fashions change. So they need to be able to change. So this is actually, this, is, this, this could cause some problems. It's not just developers being greedy. In fact, it could be issues around affordable housing. It could be issues. One, one consultant I talked to raised this issue of two, uh, two staircases in, uh, following Grenfell. And how you insert two, two staircases within an existing scheme. Are you going to need to do a drop-in application to amend it? This is, this, these are questions which are still being asked. Okay, that's really interesting because th- th- this issue of putting in staircases has become a big issue in the development sector, hasn't it, recently? With Oh, yes. Um, your fire safety requirements. Absolutely. If you're looking for an ABC of BNG, you're up to your knees in nutrient neutrality policy 
or you're confused by conservation covenants, don't fret. The Eco Chamber podcast has you covered. We tackle the deep-rooted environmental problems facing the UK's natural environment and break down what the latest green policies mean for professionals. We give you the facts, insights and exclusives that no other podcast can. So join me, James Adjipong Parsons, every week on the Eco Chamber. Listen now on all streaming platforms. So the Housing Association with the Aylesbury Judgment, they got their outline consent and they wanted to go back and change it basically to sort of make it more more flexible, given the, the long time scale. Well, this is interesting actually, because they wanted to build more dense. Okay. This is what got the goat, I think, of the residents. They wanted to build higher. And when the scheme initial scheme had been put forward, there'd been a lot of controversy around it, around the height and the density. So they agreed. There'd been a sort of peace between the residents of the council and the housing association and around the design. And then along comes this other scheme, this, this new bit that was not in conformity with the outline planning permission. And that, I think, really was what provoked this. You know, and, 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 and you have to sympathise with them. If a, if a councillor's consulted, and this is what, you know, one, one, one person, look, you know, the council consulted on one particular scheme, they give it permission, and then another one comes along on the same site. Shouldn't that then, you know, go through a proper, proper consultation, proper planning application for the overall scheme? Um, rather than just this drop-in application, getting approval that's out of kilter. Uh, so basically, they're saying that if you want to do a drop-in, you've then got to rethink the rest of the scheme. You can't just do a drop-in and assume that you can continue with the rest of the scheme. You've got to do a, a whole new application. That's that's one of the implications of this, 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 this judgment. Okay. Because you spoke to a lot of um, practitioners about this for an article you did for us recently. How significant did commentators think the ruling was? Oh, it's interesting. This ruling has had quite an impact. There are developers who are busy having a look at their outline permissions to see if they're severable. So, you know, they might be able to, if they can do a drop-in further down the line, whether that will be possible because of what their, their original permission looks like. That, that that's that's what one consultant particularly told me. So it has sent us a bit of a, a panic through some of the, the development sector. What people are saying is actually, rather than putting in these large outline permissions for a whole for a whole multi-phase development, you'd be looking at probably more individual phases being put in as, as separate planning applications so that they could then have this flexibility as they go. Um, Or maybe there's another option you could do is look at when you do a large planning application, you look at different scenarios different, and look at how the different phases might work. So you have a number of options that you put into a master plan so that you can then look at, have, have a little bit more leeway in what you might do and avoid the need for a drop-in, a new application down the line. 
Okay. So if a developer was to go down the route of um, having to submit separate detailed applications as opposed to a, a sort of multi-phased outline application, is that like to have cost and time implications for them? It could be more expensive. Obviously, you've got uh, the costs of the uh, individual <laughs> applications, which, of course, are, are going up a bit. But actually, I think at the the proportion of the, the costs actually make up of any development <laughs> expenses is actually quite small. So I don't think that's a huge issue. I suppose what it will reduce is the certainty. If you get an original planning permission for to build 3,000 homes, that's right. Gives you rather more certainty than if you put in six applications each of five hundred homes. So you haven't got the certainty which you might have, but you 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 do have more flexibility. So I suppose that's the upside. Are there any other implications for developers that are worth from the ruling that are worth highlighting? Do you think? I think that basically the the developers need to read this judgment because it is very very important. Justice Holgate has clarified a lot coming out of from the hillside uh, judgment. And how about for councils? Are there any lessons of the case for them or, or implications? The message here is actually about transparency. Uh, you know, you need to be open with your communities about what these applications and what they mean. And if changes come forward, you've got to really work it through with them. Because I think this probably, you know, this came as quite a surprise when they, to the Aylesbury a lot estate lot that they they were really quite taken aback by what was what was being proposed so i think yeah you've got to you've got to be open if you're giving a planning permission for one thing and then they come back a few years later for something else that really doesn't look good what's quite interesting is is that and and i i think i made this point already that developers need to be able to amend their schemes as they go because of changing situations and government has talked about looking at how these schemes can be amended and I think at one point they were going to put something into uh, the recent act the levelling up act Lura as it's being referred Lura yeah but it never happened Ah, I was going to ask about that. What the if there's if there are any impending policy changes around it because it, it sort of rang a bell that the government was going to address Hillside somehow yeah, that's right. There was talk, but it, it, it never happened. Okay. There's some question about whether it would need to be in statutes or whether it could be, um, well, another amendment to the NPPF, I guess, maybe. You know, what's another amendment to that? But it, it doesn't hasn't come forward. Was there a sense among the people you talked to that there's a need for kind of guidance on this issue or a sort of legal change that would help resolve any Oh, absolutely. Because of changing circumstances, these schemes do need to be easy to be amended. And, and so there is some feel that it's required an identified route for that to happen. OK, thanks very much, Ben. That's hopefully a helpful discussion of the case. For more information on this, please check Ben's article on Planning Resource. It's called Why Court Confirmation That Permissions Cannot Be Split Retrospectively is Bad News for Developers. And it's featured on the weekly bulletin that we sent out on Friday the 16th of February. Ben, I'm going to have to bid you farewell. It's time for me to leave Room 106. I hope you manage to find your way out. (laughs) 
Okay, that's another visit to Room 106 wrapped up. We'll be back next week, as usual, to take a closer look at the biggest planning news stories. In the meantime, don't forget to listen and follow us wherever you normally get your podcasts and to get a daily bulletin of planning news plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. If you haven't already, don't forget to enter the planning awards and give yourself and your team the opportunity to get the recognition that their work deserves. The deadline is fast approaching. Entrants have until 7th of March to put in a submission or Thursday the 29th of February if they want to benefit from a reduced rate for early entry. Our thanks to producer Inga Marsden from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink and thanks to you all for listening. See you next week.